Section 22. His Social Work. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Hirsch. Most erroneously and unfairly, it has been widely assumed that the great work of the general was the establishment in the world of some social institutions. Happily, we have got a verbatim report of an address to his social officers gathered around him a year before his death, in which we have a complete statement as to the beginnings and principles of the work, so that we can see exactly how he wished it to be regarded. 1. By the social work, I mean those operations of the Salvation Army which have to do with alleviation or removal of the moral and temporal evils which cause so much of the misery of the submerged classes, and which so greatly hinder their salvation. 2. Our social operations, as thus defined, are the natural outcome of salvationism, or, I might say, of Christianity, as instituted, described, proclaimed, and exemplified in the life, teaching, and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Here I would like to say that social work, in the spirit and practice which it has assumed with us, has harmonized with my own personal idea of true religion, from the hour I promised obedience to the commands of God, to help the poor, to minister to them in their slums, to sympathize with them in their poverty, afflictions, and irreligion, was the natural outcome of the life that came to my soul through believing in Jesus Christ. Before many days, nay, before many hours had passed after my conversion, I was to be found praying in the cottages in the working-class quarters of the town in which I lived, talking in the slums, comforting the dying, in doing so far as I knew how and had ability, what seemed to me most likely to help the poor and miserable classes, both for this world and the world to come. 3. But social work, as a separate entity or department of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, recognized, organized, and provided for, had to wait for the Salvation Army. For many years after the commencement of my public work, during which time I had, as opportunity served, helped the poor in their distress, I was deterred from launching out to any great extent in this direction by the fear so commonly entertained that, relieving their physical necessities, I should be helping to create, or at any rate to encourage, religious hypocrisy and pretense. All this time, nevertheless, I felt, and often keenly felt, that there surely must be some way by which, without any evil consequences, I could legitimately fulfill the cravings of my own heart, as well as comply with the commands of my Lord, who had expressly told me that I was to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, care for the sick, and visit the prisoners. For a long time, however, I failed to see how this work could be done in any organized or extensive manner. Gradually, however, the way opened, and opened largely, as a result of our determination to make the godless crowds hear the message of salvation. I said, They shall hear, 
and we will make them hear. And if they won't hear in any other way, we will feed them, and accompany the food we give them with the message to which they so determinedly turn a deaf ear. In the very earliest days of the army, therefore, in order to reach the people whom we could not reach by any other means, we gave the hungry wretches a meal, and then talked to them about God and eternity. 4. Then came the gradual unfolding of our social methods, which have been so remarkably successful. My dear wife's heart had been particularly drawn out on behalf of the fallen outcasts of society, who, often more sinned against than sinning, appealed peculiarly to her large and tender sympathies. More than once she found opportunity for extending help to individual cases of misfortune, obtaining homes among her friends for some of the children, and assisting the poor mothers to win their way back to virtue. But it was not until the end of 1883 or thereabouts that anything like a systematic effort in this direction was organized on their behalf. Touched by the helpless and pitiable condition of some poor girls who had sought salvation at the corps at which, with her husband, she fought as a soldier, a baker's wife, living in one of the most wretched streets in Spitalfields, took the girls, in distress and trouble, into her own home. Before long it was crowded to its utmost capacity, and still other women were clamoring for admission. She implored us to help her, and we engaged and opened a house as our first rescue home, placing it under the direction of Mrs. Bramwell Booth. The breaking forth of the same spirit in different directions in other lands quickly followed. At about this time, our first prison rescue brigade in the colony of Victoria was organized by the late Colonel Barker. So striking was the success attending his effort that, before many months had passed by, magistrates in the city of Melbourne were actually giving delinquents the option of being sent to prison or to our prison gate home, and the government placed the former detective police building at our disposal at a nominal rental. Not only does the genuine Christian spirit carry the soul out in sympathy with misery, but it often leads it to prefer certain particular classes of sufferers or wrongdoers on whom to lavish its self-sacrificing love, and restlessly spend itself in efforts for their benefit. In the case of one Salvationist, it will be the dying. In another, the daughters of sin and shame. In another, the homeless. In another, the children. And in yet another, the drunkards. With Colonel Barker, as with other comrades under our flag today, it was the criminals. This spirit thrives and becomes more effective by what it feeds upon. It must, therefore, be wise to favor its preferences, so far as it is possible to do so, without losing sight of the well-being of the whole. We did this with Colonel Barker, and we are acting on the same principle with others today. Then came our first women's rescue home in Melbourne, to help us in the establishment of which the colonial government gave a thousand pounds. It was upon foundations of this character that our social operations in New Zealand, France, South Africa, 
and several other countries were subsequently built up. For years past, our officers, men and women, both in the United Kingdom and elsewhere, had carried on what may be spoken of as an unorganized form of slum work, but it fell to the hands of my glorified daughter, the Consul, to institute in London what was then and for some time afterwards known as the Cellar, Gutter, and Garret Brigade, the forerunner of scores of slum posts, which are now such a recognized feature of our operations all over the world. Our first men's shelter was opened in Limehouse, London, during the winter of 1887 and 8, and was soon followed by the opening of similar institutions in other countries, far off and near at hand. From our earliest days, drunkenness had been one of the many foes of God and man against which we had specially taken our stand and thousands of its slaves had been rescued from its grip and become valiant soldiers in our ranks. Our first inebriates home, conducted in the interest of women, was not, however, opened until 1887. This was in Toronto, Canada. The social work in the United States had its birth in 1885, in an effort made on behalf of prisoners at Hartford, Connecticut. Similar efforts followed in other cities, and rescue and industrial homes, shelters, and farm colonies followed on in due course. All these enterprises, and many others to which I have not time now to refer, were prior to the publication of In Darkest England and the Way Out, and had no doubt a powerful influence in inspiring that volume. Since then, one branch or other of social work has been commenced in every country in which our flag is flying. Notwithstanding the satisfaction produced by these and kindred efforts in my own mind, and in the minds of those immediately associated with me, and although the results were truly remarkable, and the possibilities seemed to be still more wonderful, the beginnings of these social enterprises attracted comparatively little notice. The new movement, for thus I may describe it, which with half an eye thoughtful men might have seemed to be pregnant with blessings for the whole world, was almost unnoticed by either the authorities or the press, while our supplies of men and money for its conduct and extension were very limited. Suddenly, however, the scene was changed, and all at once everybody was asking, What is the Salvation Army? Who is General Booth? What is this social scheme? This change was largely brought about by the publication of In Darkest England and The Way Out, together with the notices of the scheme in the press which it brought about. Judged by the effect produced, the book was certainly a remarkable one. In the first place, it had a title which, in a striking manner, described its character. Everybody wanted to see it, and as a result, it was sold, lent, read, thought about, and talked about in every direction. Nearly a quarter of a million copies were sold. The profits from the publication and sale amounted to about £20,000, 
of which sum I had the privilege of handing over 5,380 pounds, which might have been considered rightfully to accrue to me personally as the author, to the fund devoted to the promotion of the object for which the book was published. In its pages, I propounded those schemes which I thought would prove most successful in alleviating the terrible misery I had described, and in rescuing some, at least, of the sufferers from the conduct that produced it. In order to set the scheme in motion, I asked the public to give me £100,000, and a further £30,000 per annum to maintain it. I can never forget the morning that directly followed the appearance of the volume. I was, of course, in ignorance of what the nation would think or say about it. I had made plans for the book to be delivered to the newspapers at one and the same time, and regarding the press as being to some extent the voice of the people, I was anxious to hear what that voice would say. I was not kept long in suspense. As I ascended the stairs at headquarters that morning, a gentleman with a countenance beaming with kindness and anxiety met me. I do not think he had ever seen me before, and I was certainly in complete ignorance of him. "'General Booth, I believe,' he said. "'Yes, sir,' I answered. "'I have been reading the critique in the times of your darkest English scheme,' he said." and believing your plan to be right and good, I want to be the first to express my sympathy and practical assistance in carrying it out, and I wish to give you the first one thousand pounds towards the sum asked for. This gentleman proved himself a firm friend of the scheme, actively cooperating with us so far as he had opportunity. A short time afterwards, our friend was present at the opening of our first London ex-prisoner's home. When I had finished speaking, he expressed a wish to say a few words. I invited him forward for that purpose. He came, hurried and excited, began to speak, staggered, reeled, fell into my arms, and immediately expired. It may be truly said that he died calling down blessings on the darkest England scheme. After meeting this gentleman on the stairs, I had scarcely sat down at my desk with his check in my hand before a telegram was handed me from one of the most influential newspaper proprietors in the city, expressing a similar hope and promising a similar amount for its realization. But along with these cheering expressions of approbation, there came the inevitable murmuring objections. One of these strove to minimize the value of the effort by arguing that it was only an attempt to extend the army's religious influence. People said they would be willing to help if all religious and propagandist motives were eliminated from the scheme. One night a gentleman was announced as wishing to see me. He declined to give his name, and the only description of him I could gain was that he was a prominent member of the stock exchange. "'I want to ask you one question, only one,' he said upon entering my office, "'about this social scheme of yours.' "'All right,' I replied. "'As many as you like.' 
well he continued i want to know whether you are going to give religion alongside your other benefits to these people whom you seek to help i am not a religious man myself i am not saved and never shall be i am a lost soul but there is no reason why these poor wretches should not have religion and if you will give them religion i will help you yes i answered we will give them religion while we won't refuse to help them because they are irreligious but on the contrary we will take in the vilest and the worst and we will give them all as much religion as we can i will help you he answered as he handed me bank of england notes for five hundred pounds he came to see us again and again proving for the time being a generous friend then he disappeared in a very short time and in the readiest and most kindly manner one hundred four thousand pounds were subscribed but alas only a very small proportion of the thirty thousand pounds that was asked for annually was forthcoming in this as in many other similar cases i have found that whilst the public will be ready nay eager to embrace a new thing they soon get tired of it run after some other novelty and leave you largely to struggle for its continuance as best you can five it is enough here to state that the results at the onset were remarkable amongst others four which might have been expected were immediately realized the first was the bringing into public view the ocean of tears misery and evil which was rolling around us in every direction another result was that people everywhere were awakened from their selfish lethargy to look upon these waters of tribulation and were amazed to find the depth and darkness and the despair with which they rolled forward as well as the damnation to which they inevitably led a further effect was that a large number of people were won over to care for the class whom it was proposed to benefit and to believe in the possibility of the scheme being realized many of these proved permanent friends of our social operations yet another effect was that the fountains of compassion broke out in the hearts of large numbers of individuals and led them to make similar efforts everywhere the call was sounded to labor for these poor lost people and instances were adduced which showed that their humble toil was productive of very striking results but until now nothing or next to nothing had been done to stop this rolling river or deliver those perishing in its water because everybody had felt helpless in the presence of the enormous evil but here now were results of sufficient magnitude to convince those who became interested in the matter that by the employment of the methods set forth in darkest england and the way out something permanently effective might be accomplished on the other hand others as might have been expected who had never manifested any particular interest before either for or against now came out openly as our enemies and a stiff fight followed 
out of which the social operations, although in their infancy, may be said to have emerged victorious. One of the results of this conflict of opinion was the Darkest England inquiry. The preparation of In Darkest England will forever remain remarkable in my own memory, as it was mostly written and corrected in the adjoining chamber to that in which my dear wife was suffering those awful agonies associated with the disease which finally carried her away. The spirit which originated and controlled the social work had been preeminently the spirit of her religion. She certainly was the most practical exponent of the Christianity of which I have been speaking that it was ever my lot to meet. It was her religion. She preached it with natural eloquence and remarkable skill. And in life and death, she exemplified it. From that day to this, the history of the social work has been one of steady progress and surpassing interest. And I have sometimes wondered whether any movement based so solidly upon principles of permanence and so calculated to bless the classes for whose benefit it was by the providence of God called into being has ever existed within the memory of men. Now, what has come out of this beginning? Here is a list of the various social enterprises we have in hand. I do not vouch for its completeness, but anyway, we have here a goodly number of schemes for the benefit of the poor and friendless, already in active and useful operation. For the starving, we have children's free and farthing breakfasts, midnight soup and bread brigades for the homeless, cheap food depots, special relief funds for cases of special destitution, old clothes depots for slum families, poor men's hotels, cheap grain stores, famine loan fund for destitute Indians. For the drunkards, we have drunkards' brigades, midnight drunkards' brigades, of use also in any sudden emergency, fire, flood, etc. Drunkards' advice bureau, homes for inebriates, men and women. For the paupers, we have workhouse brigades, Salvation Guardians of the Poor, Pauper Colonies, Pauper Transportation, Labor Bureau, Home for the Aged. For the unemployed, we have Labor Bureau Men and Women, Industrial Homes, Labor Woodyards, City Salvage Brigades, Workshops. For the homeless, we have Midnight Scouts, Shelters for Men and Women, Metropoles, for the criminals, we have prison visitation, police court work, prison gate work, probationary police, correspondence bureau, ex-criminals homes, criminal settlements. For the daughters of shame, we have visitation of streets, brothels, yoshiwaras, clubs, etc., midnight meetings, receiving homes, rescue homes, factories, laundries, etc., out-of-love funds, service girls' brigades, shepherding brigades, maternity homes, investigation and detective department. Slum work we have, 
visitation, first aid brigades, district nursing, poorest of the poor aid. For the sick we have visitation, hospitals, dispensaries, village dispensing, leper hospitals, maternity nursing. For the lost we have inquiry and correspondence bureau, legal assistance, prevention and protective work for young girls. We have servants' homes, city institutes, theatrical girls' home, registries, students' homes, anti-suicide bureau. We have advice department, loan department, the home league, land schemes. We have emigration, home colonization, colonization over the sea, lands and farm colonies, small holdings, Deep Sea Brigades, we have Mission Boats, Lifeboat, Training Colleges, Students' Homes, Working Men's Association, Village Banks. The total number of our social institutions is now 954. The value of properties, etc., held for the use of our social operations is, at home in the United Kingdom, 228,000 pounds. In other countries, £747,000. Total, £975,000. In the history of the social work, nevertheless, there have been, as you will know, any number of shortcomings. We have not realized all our expectations, nor fulfilled all our dreams. It was not to be expected that we should. This is an imperfect world. The movement has been imperfect. And the people who have carried it on have been imperfect also. Consequently, it's only natural that we have had imperfect results. Many things have been calculated to cause these shortcomings. For example, there has been a great lack of direct aim at the true goal of our social work on the part of some officers who have been engaged in its direction. Some of our comrades have been content with a soap-and-blanket regime. That is to say, they have too often been satisfied with the alleviation of the miseries of the hour, and have stopped short of the removal of the evils that have caused the poverty vice, and agony from which the sufferings sprang. Consequently, the work being superficial has in some cases only had superficial and temporary results. You get out of a thing as much as you put in, and no more, and that not only in quantity but in quality. If you go in for root and branch efforts, you will get root and branch results. Another cause of our shortcomings has been the lamentable fact that some of our officers have been deficient in personal religion. Our social work is essentially a religious business. It can neither be contemplated, commenced, nor carried on with any great success without a heart full of pity and love, and endued with the power of the Holy Ghost. Another of our difficulties has been the scarcity of suitable people for carrying the work on. This was also to be expected. If we had been content with hirelings, 
and had sought them out from among the philanthropies and churches, we should have found plenty in number, but it is equally certain we should have had considerably more doleful failures than those we have experienced. We are not only making, but we are now training the social officers, and we shall doubtless improve in this respect, whilst the work they turn out will be bound to improve proportionately. Then again, a further reason for our shortcomings has been our shortness of money. This need, unfortunately, is not passing away, as you will all well know. But I suppose some of you have come from distant lands with bags of francs and dollars to present the general, with an ample supply of this requirement, he thanks you beforehand. Nevertheless, and notwithstanding all our shortcomings, the position now occupied by our social operations, and the influence exercised by them on the great and small of the earth, is in evidence in every continent and on every hand. There is no doubt that the world as a whole feels much of the admiration and gratitude which the press lavished upon me on my recent birthday, admiration which was assuredly intended not only for myself, but for the army as a whole, and not only for the army as a whole, but for its social workers in particular. And now, in conclusion, let me summarize a few of the advantages which have flowed out of the social work, and which will continue to flow out of it as long as time rolls on. The first benefit I will mention is the salvation of thousands of souls. The world has been further benefited by the knowledge of salvation spread throughout every part of the habitable globe. The world has been further benefited by the conviction that has been brought to governmental, philanthropic, and religious agencies as to the duty they owe to the classes we seek to benefit. The world has been further benefited by the sympathy created in the hearts of royal personages, scientists, literary people, and the press generally, indeed, in every class and grade of mankind. The world has been further benefited by the removal of misery on such an extensive scale as has never even been dreamed of as possible. Think of the multitudes who, by our operations, are daily saved from starvation, vice, crime, disease, death, and a hundred other nameless woes. In some of the principal cities in Italy, Holland, Germany and elsewhere, visited during my recent continental campaign, I have been looked upon with unspeakable satisfaction and enthusiasm as the general of the poor, and the Salvation Army has been regarded as their friend. The world has been further benefited by the help which our social operations have afforded to the field and other departments of the Army all over the world. The world has been further benefited by the confidence the social work has created in the hearts and minds of our own people, both officers and soldiers, as to the truth and righteousness of the principles and practices of the Salvation Army. The world has been further benefited by the answer 
which the social work constitutes to the infidel's sneers at Christianity and the assertion of its effeteness. Truly, our future chroniclers will have to record the fact that our social operations added a celestial luster and imparted a divine dignity to the struggles of the early years of the Salvation Army's history. To our own eyes in the Army, however, that which has been done in connection with the institutions is only a very insignificant part of the whole effect produced. Until the present movement all over the world in favor of the betterment of the social condition of the masses of the people has had time to accomplish definite results, our institutions may yet have a good work to do. But the great work the general did in this connection was the restoration to men's minds of the Savior's own view, that we owed to every man every care that a truly brotherly heart must needs bestow. That principle, as the general pointed out, had always been acted upon as best it could be from the beginning, and is daily acted upon today wherever the army exists. End of section 22. Recording by Tom Hirsch.